the millennium. Uh, we believe in Mount Calvary that there is a special time that's going to come to this earth where the kingdom of God will be full glory in, encompassing the earth. The changes that we're going to be talking about are, are just incredible. It, it, it takes a life of faith, the Holy Spirit, that will give us the confidence that these things are really true because there's no other way it could happen except we know that God does what he says he's going to do. Um, but uh, it's just, it's amazing. The rapture, the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation, Jesus returns and the millennium will begin. Let me ask you about this. If, if you could change the world by removing its worst qualities, what would you remove? Ryan, what would you remove? Hate. Hate. That's, that's it. Well, that would change things, wouldn't it? Big time. Jerry? War. War. Definitely Linda Good, the one who got a book. No, don't call me. Sarah, right next to her. What quality would you remove? She says, just take me out. Just get me out. Yeah. <laughs> Greed. Anybody else? What kind of qualities? If you could remove the worst qualities, what would you remove from this world in its life? Illness, big time. Famine? Okay. Yep. There's a lot. Putting it three different groups, <clears throat> try to imagine the world where there is no violence or crime. That's just staggering in itself. Any of you been down to Kensington Street in Philadelphia? Have you seen what's happening down there? It's worse than a third world country. It's just awful. Uh, violence and crime, sorrow, pain, suffering. Any wrongdoing being done in this world? Yeah. And if you remove those things, what you have are peace and joy and right doing. But how do you get those things out of the world? Notice on your booklet, on page 30, when we talk about this period that's called the millennium, I'll read this, uh, the text in just a minute, but I want you to notice the blessing of God upon all mankind. Just think about these three statements. As the millennium begins, the heart of the world will be very different. I have a change of heart. When the millennium begins, each man and woman entering the millennium will be a child of God. And the entire world will walk with God as well as love and worship Him. And it's just, it really is amazing. Um, so we're going to be talking about the millennium. The book of Revelation has two major themes, the return and reign of Christ. And just follow along with me as I read the text in 
uh, on the top of page 30. And we'll, we'll actually cover most of this in the time we have together. But the millennium thousand year rule is very clearly stated in these verses. And that's, this is a classic passage. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. You may just want to underline that. You'll see that six times in these few verses. A thousand years. He threw him into the abyss. I like the word throw. Locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years, that's the second time, ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had given authority to judge, who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of them who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because, because of the word of God. These are the folks that died during the tribulation. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ, here's the third thing, a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, that's Jerusalem, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Thousand years. It's very obvious that we're looking at uh, a thousand year period that's referred to as the millennium, Christ's rule on earth. Now, if you would, please, we're going to see some incredible changes, but we could get lost in the changes and how things will be different. Turn over to page 32. We must never forget when we're looking at these incredible changes in life that this is Christ's kingdom. This is his rule. This is about him. Never look at the qualities of the kingdom without thinking about him. And his presence in this world and the radiance of his deity is going to impact not only the hearts of believers who begin to live during the, the millennial time, but will change and guide their lives and just continue to go throughout the earth. Uh, he is the one that's responsible for all these changes. And there is a verse in Malachi, if you notice under challenges once experienced by life, by men in life, a ransom on page 32, Malachi 4.2, This is how God closes the New Testament, talking about the day of the Lord and Savior coming back. But for you who fear my name, notice this, the Son 
of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Notice he's referred to as the son of righteousness. Uh, I love springtime because when the sun begins to shine and really begins to get warm, we all feel it, and we begin to see some changes. The sun gives life to everything. Um, the barren trees, no leaves, no color begin to bud and begin to, to show forth leaves. Color, God colors the hillsides every year when it comes time to spring. The grass comes up, the flowers, the different vegetations, the blossoms, everything. And it makes us feel good too uh, because we like being warm. Uh, we just enjoy life. And just as the sun has that impact upon our natural world, when Jesus is here personally, in his glory, the strength of his deity, just like the sun, will just warm and change everything. This is his rule, his kingdom for God, and he is the one that makes it all possible. Now let's go back, flip the page back, and let's look at some of these changes. The first thing we have, number one on page 31, is universal peace for all mankind. Uh, we don't have that in any measure here, do we? Universal peace for all mankind. And I have Isaiah 2. This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's temple. Remember Ezekiel from 40 to 48. There is this massive temple. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established and the highest of the mountains will be exalted above the hills. It means there will be nothing more important to the earth than this place. That's what he's talking about. All the nations will stream into it. It's a word river in Hebrews. And it describes a people coming to this temple to worship God like a river running right down its course. Many people will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord in the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. Notice the desire to be taught the desire to be with the Savior, to be in God's house, and their, their eagerness. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And it's very clear to see what Isaiah sees happening here, but this is not the only place that we get this picture. Remember in the Old Testament, the Savior who came to the world would also be a great king with a kingdom. So this is one of the glimpses into the kingdom. The temple is established. The Savior is there. People are coming in droves. Is that different from what we have today? Yeah. yeah. Uh, people don't even think about God. They have no interest in God. And here, people are thinking about, man, we can, he can teach us this desire, this anticipation. Micah 4, 1 and 2 said the same thing. But notice the next Verses I'll have here on the screen. You have them there on your, on your sheet in Zechariah 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. The inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to 
pray, to entreat the Lord, to pray and to seek the Lord Almighty. I'm going. People have a desire to go to the temple so they can spend time praying to God. I said that during the millennium, the world will have a different heart. And you can see it in these passages. They want to spend time. They want to get close to God. It says that we can pray. Many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty, to entreat him, to ask him, God, help me with this. Take care of my family or watch over this. They will have requests. This is what the Lord Almighty says in those days during the millennium. Ten people from other languages and nations, non-Jewish people, will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you. We have heard God is with you. The world will understand that Israel, they are the people deeply loved by God. They are his chosen people. And they want the nation of Israel to help them even to get closer to God. Universal peace for men. The city of Jerusalem, the worship of God will be so sweet, it will link the hearts of all men together so that for the first time ever, the world will have universal peace because God has his right place and Jesus is king. Kind of hard to believe, isn't it? It's going to take the Savior and his deity to create that kind of change. But it's not just one picture. There's just three here that we have. Now, Jerry, i got to put you on the spot. I want you to explain to me what you see in this next statement. Okay? Remember replacement theology? They have three non-negotiables. God has rejected Israel. Forget about Israel. There's nothing for Israel anymore. God's done there. No interest, no intent, anything in the future. It's done because God has turned all of his attention to the church. God has rejected Israel. The church has replaced Israel. And you have to come to the scriptures with an allegorical approach. Not literal. Nothing literal. Jerry, you're on. You ready? Replacement theology. Mick McConsky makes this statement. Once again, we see great multitudes of people coming to God during this time. He's talking about the verses that I just read. The desire of people to know God will be very great. This pictures the church. Reminding us that Gentiles have come in great numbers today to worship the God of Israel. Do you see what they did? Now, this is replacement theology. Israel's done. The church is what God's working through. You have to approach things allegorically. Jerry, what do you see in this? Yeah, you picked up on a lot of things right there. Yeah. Uh, the story has changed. We see a literal, simply understood explanation. It means what it says. Uh, 
Jesus has established the millennium. The temple is the center. The people are coming in droves like rivers to, to be able to meet with God and to meet with the Savior. And he makes the statement that this picture is the church reminding us that Gentiles have come to great in great numbers to God today. Do you see people in streams of rivers coming to church? That's sure not happening. Now, now look, see, what they're saying, the book of Revelation is not about the future, it's about right now. Remember that allegorical change? And really, the kingdom of God, many of them will say, is not a period in the future, it's what's happening right now. If Jesus is your king, he'll give you peace in your heart. And they change everything all around. But when you put this statement side by side, these passages, we can make these observations. Number one, God's word is talking about the future, not now. God's word is talking about Israel, not the church. In the word of God, this is something that's going to happen in the future, not now. And the church is not even there in these pictures. But they change things around. And we know that it just makes simple sense to follow what God has said in his word. People are coming to fall in love with God and, and to learn of him and to pray with him and ask him to care for them. It's going to be different because the world will have a different heart. Now remember, when the millennium begins, Jesus has come back and this awful tribulation has been put to an end. Every unbeliever, every wicked person is removed from the face of the earth. Everyone. The only people who enter the millennium are people who have believed in Christ. They are children of God. That sets the whole tone. It's going to be a different place because the only people who are going to be there will have fresh in their minds the memory of what the world has just gone through with the Antichrist and all of that destruction, the return of Christ, his changing of things, and they have been rescued. And this radiant change that takes place through the world, it's just, it is going to set the tone for their hearts and love and worship for the Savior. It's just, it's just a very wonderful thing. It's going to be a wonderful time. Uh, turn over to page 32. There's another thing that happens. And for all you who are hunters, you'll have to put up your guns because the animal kingdom, nature, will also be at peace with mankind. There won't be any more hunting. That's okay. You can pet the animals. You don't have to shoot them. I have some passages there, and I really want you to turn, either on your phone or in your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 11 real quick. I want you to see this. The change that takes place in the animal kingdom is, again, it's almost too hard to believe because it's so different from what we have today. If you spend any time with nature, if you've watched whether it's the animals on the land, whether it's the birds, whether it's even the fish. Our animal kingdom is very savage. I mean, it is very savage. Animals on the ground, they just can't, they attack each other. They shred one another. 
Birds do the same thing. They're always attacking one another or eating one another. Fish do the same thing. It's just filled with all of this, uh, this hostility, part of the curse. But notice in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. And you're familiar with this. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. Now just think about that. I mean, just settle down and live with the lamb. You put a wolf in a cage with a lamb, what are you going to get? Lamb chops. Right? That doesn't happen today. You don't have zoos that are arranged for that. But notice the change in the animal kingdom. The peace that the Savior has given to men spills over to the animal kingdom. This is not a story that you can twist around. This is a literal, simple presentation. God wants us to know that he's going to change the world when Jesus comes. And it says in verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. There's three illustrations in nature of what will be very different. Three comparisons instead of these animals that are beastly by nature attacking the young and the defenseless, there's no conflict between them. None at, at all. And it says, and a little child will lead them. Parents with small kids are scared to let their kids go outside, not just for people, but for animals. That's not going to be a problem here. It says in verse 7, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play in the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. The animal kingdom will have no expression of hostility or anger or attack. Because the son of righteousness, the savior, the presence, his presence in this world, and his deity will just flood the hearts of these believers who have begun. People will be at peace. The whole world, even the animal kingdom, will, will change. And it's just, it's just breathtaking. Turn to chapter 35. You have your Bibles there. Even nature itself will be breathtaking. Some tremendous changes in 35. And you're familiar with these, I know. We just wanted to put it, package it together this way. In Isaiah 35, verses 1 and 2, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. Talking about in the millennium. And the desert will rejoice and blossom as the rose. It will blossom abundantly and rejoice, and it will cause joy and singing. Drop down to verse 6. The lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb uh, will sing for waters will burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pond, a pool, and thirsty land springs of water. In the habitations of jackals, they live in wilderness, scrub area, uh, where each lay there will be grass with reeds and rushes, 
and everything is it's just incredible. Micah talks about the vegetation going crazy and, and the plants in abundance, the trees, the orchards, the gardens, the fields, and the everything. It says, every man will sit at home under his own vine and his fig tree, a sign of abundance. And then it adds this phrase, and there will be no more fear. People during the millennium will not be afraid of anything because of the changes that take place in this life. Very literally understood, God is going to use Israel to lead the world in the worship of God, and as he does so, he's going to change everything about this world. And it's great. Notice on your page, on page 32, where it says, challenges once experienced by men in life are removed. Let me just tell you what these verses say. In Isaiah 65, it says that our lives will be healthy. Now, someone referred to sickness. Well, it won't be any sickness. That's kind of hard to imagine. No hospitals. What's Dr. Ed going to do? No hospitals. People are going to live longer. It says in that passage, people, catch this, this is just hard to understand from where we are. People will not cry anymore. A life where people don't have to cry about anything. There is one specific reference there will be no premature death of children or infants. That will never happen. People will live longer. Death will be very rare. And the Savior will actually, his being here is going to change even the lifespan of people. Now remember, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a perfect life, and their world was beautiful. Everything they saw was pleasant, even pleasant to the taste. There was nothing there negative in any way. When Jesus comes and establishes the millennium, it's going to be a world just like that, beautiful in every way possible, and people are going to love it. It's just, it's just going to be great. And so we see this, and we come to... Uh, this, going back to the sheet on the, uh, uh, the text that gives us, talks about the thousand-year reign. I want to ask, what's our part in all this? How do we figure in all of that? Because when Jesus comes back, Revelation 19, we will be with him. We are told that we will live and reign with Christ. We're going to have some engagement in this. Now, I want you to go back to that earlier passage on page 30 where I read Revelation 20, verses 1 to 9. This is what replacement theology says. Now remember, they're saying that the book of Revelation is not about the future, it's right now. And they don't go, they don't hold to the literal interpretation. You've got to get rid of that. Just forget about being literal. God doesn't want you to be literal. I met with a, a pastor of a replacement uh, theology. And again, these folks are sweet folks. They love the Lord dearly. They just use the Bible much differently than we do. And I was meeting with the pastor, I was having lunch with the pastor, 
And I told him what was going to happen. I told him that I was given this, this topic, the millennium. And I said, so what, what do you think about the millennium? I said, do you think there will be one? And the first thing he says, he referred to this passage, the first thing he says is, well, we know that this is not literal. That's the first thing he said. I said, how's that? He said, it talks about Satan being chained. Satan's an angel. How do you put a, a metal chain on an angel or a steel chain? It can't be, it can't be literal. And a thousand years, it just means it's a very long time. Because in their mind, they're thinking, okay, we don't do anything literal. This is not, how, how does this refer to today? And their explanation is, if Jesus is your savior, you're living the kingdom right now because he's taking care of you. And I'm thinking, oh, that's too much to process. <laughs> it really is. But once you set aside the literal understanding and you open the door to all kinds of things. Now, we believe that this whole passage makes a lot of sense, just a lot of clear sense. First of all, we are told that an angel with a chain gets a hold of Satan and puts him in prison. Prison, prison is a place of confinement, we know that. He is put in chains. Chains refers to restriction. And we are told specifically that Satan is not able to have any influence on the population of the world. He is just out of the picture. He's been put in jail. He's been confined in chains. He has no connection to the human race that's living during the millennium. That's what we see. That's what God is telling us. Literally, simply, it makes sense. When Jesus comes back, he's going to take that great deceiver, I like the word again, throw him in prison, confine him in prison, and for a thousand years, he can't do anything. That's what this is telling us. And it makes sense. You don't have to recreate the story or try to come up with other things. But that's what the replacement theology does. Now, what is our part in all of this? Well, we know that when we come back, we will help the Savior as he cares for the world. <clears throat> think of uh, how will we do that. Uh, think of how God used angels in the Old Testament. Servants. God sometimes sent angels to encourage people like Elijah under the juniper tree. He would send them, give them information. Angels would come to encourage people. Remember the angel coming to Gideon? You strong, valiant man. Who, me? You know, how can I lead Israel's army? Try to encourage them. And it appears that there will be a definite connection in comparison <clears throat> between the way the Savior will use believers now, helping in the rain so that we can be of use, we can have ministries, we will be able to help this kingdom of righteousness develop, be sustained, and we will be very useful. Here, here's the, there's a passage that I have. I don't think I have it here. You might want to write it down. It's the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 17. 
Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 17, talks about the parable of the talents. People are given different responsibilities. A man come back to take care of his servants. And in seeing how they have cared for their responsibilities, he makes this statement, be thou faithful, you've been very faithful to what's been given to you, be thou, uh, be thou faithful and rule over five cities or rule over 10 cities. Uh, not in the sense of being a, a strict ruler, but in this sense of the millennial reign, it appears that we will have responsibilities helping others to stay on track, to encourage them, answer their questions, et cetera, et cetera. But the Bible does suggest strongly that how we live now as Christians will determine the responsibilities that we have in the millennium. How we live now, the closer that we are to the Savior, the more more devoted we are, uh, the way he can use us, what he gives us in our life, how we use that for, the, for God's work, for the glory of God, all of that would be taken into account, how we've grown, our character, our walk with the Lord. How we have walked with the Savior now will be de- determined uh, how we care for things in the future that were tasks that we're given. But we will live and reign with Christ, we'll have a definite connection. Now notice back on page 30 again, if you would please, in verse 4, it says, I saw the souls of them who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or image, received its mark in their forehead or in their hands. They came to life. They had been killed and reigned with Christ a thousand years. It appears that when we are involved in helping the Savior with the guardianship, the care of this brand new world, that the tribulation saints who have died for the Savior, they will be raised, those who have died, and they will also be a part of this reigning. They will assist in helping the Savior Rain. Uh, it's also believed that at this time, talking about the first resurrection, this is the first resurrection, blessed or holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The church, the believer, has already been raised from the grave. We know that prior to the rapture. This resurrection, it is thought of that the Old Testament saints will be there and that they will also take part and helping the world to grow into this new era of a thousand years. You remember Jesus said that there's coming a time where people will come from the north, south, east, and west and set down in the kingdom with Abraham. So it appears that they, we will be helping the kingdom. I don't know what we'll be doing. The tribulation saints will be raised. They will be helping and possibly the Old Testament saints. And it just... We're all going to be busy. We're all going to be doing something to help the Savior as he cares for the world. And if that sounds a little strange to you, think about the book of Job because it begins when it says that God's on his throne and the angels are coming to and fro by doing their assignments on earth among men. Now, instead of the angels, we are going to be the ones that are able to help in that way. And... Uh, again, it's just, it's a different era. We will be involved in that. And then it says, after a thousand years, Satan will be loosed. 
the deceiver is once again out among men. And you remember he deceived Adam and Eve from the very beginning. And as Pastor referred to text earlier, he, the whole world has been deceived by the, the wicked one, the strong one. And he will go out and begin to deceive. And somebody said, well, how's, how's that possible? When people begin the millennium, these are the people that have come through the tribulation. They're living. They all know the Lord is their Savior. As they have children... And remember, people are going to live a lot longer. A lot of babies are going to be born. They're going to grow up, have kids and all that. People are going to have to make a decision in their heart whether they will accept, truly accept Christ as Savior or not. Now, there's no question they will go along with the mandates of the king because there's no option. Jesus will take care of straight, uh, strict control. There won't be any uh, expressions or outbursts of sin. It just won't be there. And most people will probably go along with the kingdom rules or kingdom living because it's comfortable. Uh, they know they should. Uh, it's something that they know they have to do. Remember, Satan's not a part of that at all. And sin nature has been pretty well taken care of. But when Satan is released and begins to deceive people and whisper, you can't really trust God. Jerusalem is really not your. You ought to take control of this place. This planet ought to belong to yours. Whatever he does, like he did with Adam and Eve and like he does with so many, he's going to convince, it says, people like the sand of the sea to gather for battle against Jerusalem and encircle the city. And I'm thinking, wait, wait, wait just a minute. We have a life where the world is at peace. There is worldwide peace even for nature. Prosperity, comfort, no, nothing to be afraid of. Healthy living, all your needs are being met. And these people are being deceived. And they encircle it around. And in one swift act, God in heaven destroys them all with fire, and that is the last expression of sin that will ever be seen in the human race, period. The Savior then will take care of his people, but at that point you move into eternity. The book of Revelation closes, moving from this last battle, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and it's, it's just glorious from here on out. And that's how the book of Revelation ends. Now, let me pull it together this way. I'm just about done. There are some lessons that I think I have in your, uh, on page 32, some blanks there. Uh, we have Satan's confinement. We have man's foolish failure. God's response to man's last rebellion. But let me just highlight a couple lessons from the millennium. I think one is very obvious. When Jesus is king, things get better. That's true today too, isn't it? When he is our king, when we are allowing him to lead our lives, things will get better. Well, this will happen from all over the world. I think another observation, lesson, God wants men to succeed he does. He wants men to succeed. 
The third thing, though, men, even in the most favorable circumstances, will fall into sin when left to their own choices. Man is inherently flawed. And no matter what kind of circumstances you put, environment you put him in, it's, it's not a problem of environment. Man is flawed, and he is, unfortunately, he's going to choose his own way, period. That's why the government cannot fix everything. That's why social environments cannot fix everything. It, you, just, you just can't. Man is inherently flawed. I think it demonstrates the foreknowledge of God who not only knows what's going to happen in the future, not only his own acts, but the acts of men. He knows it all. And I think it also demonstrates the incurable wickedness of Satan whose only goal is to defy God and ruin mankind. And that's why it's so very great to have a Savior. Because if it wasn't for him, how could we ever stand against that foe? But a glorious eternity for the redeemed. And that's why the book of Revelation closes. Nothing will ever enter in that will defile. Nothing will ever cause any problems anymore because Jesus, millennial king, was a taste of what people could have. And with that last rebellion out of the way, uh, it's only time now for eternity. No more sin, period. The millennium, a literal period of a thousand years where Jesus rules, his righteousness like the sun warming things up in the spring will be responsible for all the changes. Universal peace among all men, uh, the natural order of things, life itself will be just wonderful. And we'll be there to see it and help others enjoy the king. Got it? Everything will be taken care of. So there we are. I'm done, and I stayed awake, even after eating. I watched some of you guys. I watched. See. But uh, we hope this is helpful. Let's just thank the Lord there is a millennium, and that Jesus can really take care of things, and Pastor will close with the last session. Father, we are so thankful that the Bible makes just sense. It just makes simple sense, common sense, just by reading it. We thank you, Father, that you will pour your blessing upon this world by allowing your Son and the Son of Righteousness to just provide men with the, the most spectacular life possible. And thank you that you care enough for people to, to do this, especially your children. And Father, we are saddened to think that even in the best of things, uh, people will not want the Savior, just like today. Uh, people will not listen to the Savior. And that's just so sad. It doesn't have to end that way. But Father, we thank you that the Bible is so very clear that the kingdom of God is one day coming to this earth and Jesus will be the king. Wonderful. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.